You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, Kane and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice and one heck of an interview we have for you today. We are, of course, gearing up to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, so a few Edinburgh performers may sneak onto this podcast in the upcoming weeks and months, but we are going to revisit the Glastonbury Festival of Performing Arts. Pardon? I'm not getting back. I've literally only just got over it. You've only just got all the mud out of your feet. And my ears. And your ears. It was a dirty one, wasn't it, Glastonbury? It was dry, but that brought its whole new range of issues. That there was just soot everywhere. Sooty, dry, dusty, allergy issues. Oh, big allergy issues. Did a bit of a cry, didn't we? Both were crying. Yeah. Because of the... Had to go and have a little lie down. Because of the allergies. But Kane, it's okay. We are going to revisit Glastonbury, but we don't have to go all the way on another pilgrimage to Worthy Farm. You see, we can go and we can sit down with Magic Singh. And Magic Singh has been performing at the Glastonbury Festival for 10 years. Well, how exciting. This is exciting to have a guest on the podcast that... Have you ever met him before? Never met him. I've never met him before. We're going to go make a new friend today. We're going to make a new friend. Hopefully. You see, normally, uh, people that we have on this podcast will either be someone that we know very well, someone that we've maybe gigged with a few times, or in the case of Max Maven, someone that we badger with loads and loads of emails until he finally says, yes, you can come and meet me in an undisclosed location in Yorkshire. But Magic Singh was performing in Glastonbury, as were we. We tried to get together at the festival, but, you know, Wi-Fi and all that stuff. So Singh very kindly said, we can go and meet him, Kane, in Battersea. Whereabouts in Battersea? The Battersea Riverfront. Oh, the pub. It's a pub, yeah. yeah. Won't that be a bit noisy for a podcast? There might be some ambient noises in the background. Dog walkers, police sirens, helicopters, helicopters. But you will always hear sing over those noises. Okay. But this is perhaps a, a podcast to listen to in a quiet room or in the car. As yeah. opposed to on a train where you've got your own background noises it connected with the background noises that you haven't been able to edit out of the podcast. Yeah, it's just going to be a whole load of background noise. If you have your own background noise, you get to bring that to our background noise and then you might have issues. People are now discovering what a small scale this podcast is produced on. Oh, very small. Incredibly small. The smallest possible scale. We can't even afford egg boxes. We can't even afford egg boxes. But, you know, if people want us to increase our production values, well, they, they could sponsor us. We'll sell out. It's fine. How do we do that? They just, well, they email you at your special Ed Kane of Talking Tricks email account. So we haven't set up some kind of a, a giving page for people that can give things that like the website. No, you need too much. Everyone else does that. Yeah. Thingy does that, didn't he? Who? Beautiful stew. Gorgeous stew. Stu Goldsmith. Sexy stew. Stu Goldsmith. What was his street name? Beautiful stew. Beautiful stew. Beautiful stew. He looked at me like it was a beautiful stew when I said that. No, it was. Yeah, you can, you can, yeah, his Comedian's Comedian podcast, you can give money to that. Which if you have never listened to... We definitely recommend you go and listen to the Comedian's Comedian podcast with Stu Goldsmith. Yeah, listen to that as soon as you finish listening to this episode with Magic Sing. Look, if you want to give us some money, then here's what you need to do. Rate, review and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done already because you're five star. We're on a five star rating still, Kane. Okay. We haven't diminished our five star rating since day one. But, if, you know, if you, if you give us a little rating, we get higher in the rankings. 
and then you know uber and people like that might want to sponsor us or if you're a small to medium business and you want to sponsor us then it's easy just get in touch at at Magic on twitter or instagram fantastic okay can we play the um interview now because i want to put the air conditioning back on fantastic we'll go do that magic zinc joins us on talking tricks now alexa turn on the air conditioning i think that only works in the movie number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety, you're listening to Talking Tricks. We're here at the beautiful Battersea waterfront in London. You might hear the occasional plane going over. <laughs> yeah, or helicopter. Or helicopter. <laughs> it's a beautiful sunny day. We couldn't be farther away. From farther a, away. Further away. <laughs> we couldn't be further away from a dusty field in Somerset. Oh. But a few weeks ago, that's where we were. Uh, Magic Singh, you were at Glastonbury. Uh, are you recovered? I think I am now. Two weeks is more than enough. I, I thought it would have taken longer, only because it was such a hot one this year. Would you not agree? Really hot. I thought 2010 was a hot one, but this one topped it. I mean, I do prefer the sun over the rain, uh, but I did get darker than I actually am right now. <laughs> I think the peeling is finished now almost. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I did struggle at times on the performances when I did the walkabouts. But you just have the show has to go on, doesn't it? And uh, I managed to get through it. I, I thought I got a bit of a heat stroke, but it, it wasn't. I was just knackered and exhausted by all that crazy heat I had. But yeah, what an experience that was! I love it. Did you I, manage to keep your suit clean? I did. Still white. Still white. <laughs> just a little yeah. micro line, but I don't think anyone will notice on the on the elbow of my jacket. But yeah. We walked past you in your white suit, and I thought. What's that going to look like? <laughs> I've done it on a muddy one before, yeah. and touch wood, you know, it's been clean since I got back, so you just got to stay standing up and just hope not to fall. And a lot of people <laughs> listening might be like, Magic at Glastonbury? Uh-huh. I didn't see that on the pyramid stage. <laughs> yeah. Talk us through exactly, because we were doing similar things, although yeah. I know you did Mavericks, so I'm keen to hear about that as yes. well. Um, but talk us through what, what you were doing at Glastonbury. Sure, sure. So what people don't understand is that Glastonbury is huge it's like a city it's not just music it's all sorts of different arts you know you've got the magic you've got comedy you've got juggling you've got weird bizarre acts which I have no idea how these guys think of it but they do and I love that stuff so I was in the theatre and circus field as you guys were I believe we were yeah we were and about, so. there's so much going on there as you know right you've got crazy acts going on there there's like still acts moving acts walkabout acts you name it and I was doing my walkabout sets essentially just going up to people doing close-up magic and just freaking them out and they were loving it it was so great and we were filming it creating content at the same time for all the socials as well and then late at night at the Mavericks we had basically given a five to ten minute slot on stage and again you know we forget how many tents there are there are hundreds, and that's not even an exaggeration, is it? You know, there's so many tents out there with different things going on, and I'm just a part of one of them. And believe it or not, it was a full house every single night. Uh, I remember on the Friday night, going into Saturday morning, I had a two o'clock in the morning slot, and I thought, oh, who's going to be there? Walked up, and everyone was just packed out in that place, thinking, God, it's, you know, you could be anywhere right now watching, you know, the Shangri-La stuff or the Arcadia with the crazy lights and techno music is going on but no they happened to be there because they wanted to see some of the weird stuff I did my thing they loved it you know you, you think at that point they're gonna probably heckle you because you, know, you know the drinks are down you at that point but they don't man they, they enjoy that act you know, they really get involved 
and then the Saturday night and then the Sunday night was just as good you know I remember I was in the early slot I was the second act on the Friday and, uh, sorry the Saturday and Sunday night and as I'm walking to go backstage you see these huge queues outside the Mavericks tent I'm thinking god man these, are, these guys are dedicated to come check these things out but it was brilliant and uh, I enjoyed every moment I've, this is my 10th one I've done now as wow. well so every year I'm always trying something new especially with Mavericks I'm always going to try it's just one routine I do on stage and I'm always going to try something new and gives me a chance to play with new ideas if something goes wrong you know you kind of are forgiven because people are just there for a good time and have a laugh if it goes wrong you know you just style it out somehow or just ask for forgiveness but touch with that hasn't happened yet <laughs> and I hope it doesn't ever happen but yeah it was great um, this year I did a, an, a, an act where you've probably seen it before so it's a, it's a trick called Lethal by Bobby Motta where you have a card selected you put it back in the deck and you well, the way I did it is I had a place in a, in a character well it was a special bag that was on the floor on the stage which had a card fountain in there and the cards start shooting everywhere and I throw a knife oh sorry there's a yeah, throw a knife into the audience <laughs> no, I had a guy chosen the guy who chose the card I had like a, like a sandwich board thing placed over him he stands in front of the, the, the bag I have a knife as the card's shooting us throw the knife the knife penetrates a playing card and hits the ball and it happens to be his card and he's got a piece missing of course and it matches exactly and it's his card and they loved it it was great fun you know there were gags to go around it as well you know being from London and all sorts of whatever yeah it, it was brilliant great what fun what a trick it must feel uh, is it dangerous to do or is it pretty uh, safe you, you, you are safe you are completely safe in fact um, but I, I'll, the way I'll perform it is quite serious but with a bit of humour because I don't want it to be too serious because uh, humour goes a long way at the end of the day they loved it they enjoyed it and it's, it's quite funny because the way I build it up it's going to be like a nice card trick because when I introduce the pack of cards it's a very magical way of doing it rather than just saying here's a deck of cards so they all think they're going to watch this beautiful magic act and then they're, they're at the point where they've picked a card they've torn the corner they've kept a piece the rest goes back in this little bag and then I say, right, here's where the act gets a little bit dangerous. And my assistant brings on this knife board, <laughs> place it out around their neck. And it's quite humorous as well. Everyone starts getting a bit concerned, especially when the knife comes out as well. So it's nice that the act has got layers to it. And uh, I've performed this at some of my corporates in the past. But because I was doing it every day for three times in a row, it gave me a chance to just perfect on the nuances and the timing of everything. And when I should say a particular gag and when certain things you learn these things as you do it more and more often isn't it so I feel far more comfortable doing this piece now as well because in the early stages like oh this might not work that might not work and I could easily there are parts where you can mess it up and I have customised it a little bit just so there's no problems with that particular trick and that's what you get you've got to do I guess isn't it and depending on what you're wearing as well and how good the quality of the prop is as well sometimes as well because you, you know it won't be as great but it, it worked out beautifully and uh, they loved it that's all that matters I remember once we did a gig above a pub and the set involved the human blockhead nail up the nose oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, amazing Jonathan's knife for arm yes and a flaming wallet and when we got to the door the yeah. doorman said can I have a look in your bag oh. and we said <laughs> you can but we have two hammers a packet of nails <laughs> lighter fluid <laughs> and a knife and he just went what and we were like with the magicians and he just let us in I wonder during a trick with a knife have you ever come across any issues when okay, um, so staff or even festival staff have... yeah so last 2017 was the last one at Glastonbury I did the paintball bullet catch yeah. and you know, it's, it's still a gun at the end of the day and I had to kind of inform them that I'm bringing a gun on site <laughs> <laughs> 
being brown, wearing a turban. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> uh, you know, with my Asian mates as well. Like, oh, okay. But it was cool. They were all aware. They had informed all the team as I was coming in. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's been customised, the gun, of course. So, I mean, it still does fire the paintballs, but, you know, they had to take precautions. They know I'm not an idiot. You know, I've been there you know, for the eight, nine years at that time. But they had to keep the prop in storage. Uh, on their side just so no one could in case someone stole out of my tent and right. you know misused the gun you know start finding paintballs of people but that was the only one we had a bit of an issue and when i mentioned it to them about this year about the knife and they were like we might need to declare it. but when i explained to them i go look it's everything's all compact it's nicely hidden and everything no one's going to know yes there is a real knife involved but you know you can hide that you can blend it into something and no one will have a clue as to where that knife is so i've always had this thing i don't know if i should say this but <laughs> i've got to say so you know you know when people get surged you know for drugs and all this that i was thinking we could just stick in a you know put drugs in a thumb tip and just have your arms like this yeah, yeah. <laughs> no one have a clue man <laughs> so i don't know why i just said i'll probably get in trouble for that but um it was the same thing applied with the knife trick you know it was it was hidden in plain sight so no one would be none the wiser essentially of where it was so i didn't have to declare it in that respect i mean the the theater and circus people knew that that was it you know i kept it safe and that was it really <laughs> i want to talk to you about um a decade of performing at Glastonbury sure. and how that festival's changed. But before then, you kind of mentioned tricks with knives, tricks with paint guns. Um, is that, when you're kind of looking to create magic, is that something that you always enjoy to have? Is that something that kind of inspires you, having something a little bit dangerous or different so that the audience almost have a, <gasps> as well as a... Glastonbury, I've always wanted to try new things out, whether it's when I'm doing my close-up sets or when I'm doing my stage. And I'll always do something different on stage, 100%. So 10 years on the trot, I've always done something different. I was saying that, the first two years, I wasn't on stage. It was just a walkabout. It was only in the third year where they asked me, oh, we'd love to have you at the Mavericks tent. I thought, yeah, absolutely. So I've, it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be dangerous. It's just something I'd you know be dabbling in. And that was my early stages where I was just trying to try things out in cabaret I wasn't even doing cabaret at the time but I had a few pieces like a book test I was trying out like the silk to egg I think I've done as well in the past uh, all these different things and then as my cabaret repertoire has increased throughout the years I thought all right maybe I can take particular things and put that into the Mavericks but there are certain things I won't use because when you go to the Mavericks they're doing some real wild stuff you got some you got some crazy contortionist who's fitting himself through a tennis racket you got a drag queen in high heels spinning hoops. I'm like, how am I supposed to compete with that? You know, it's just, it's got to be slightly, slightly out there-ish, you know, <laughs> compared to what I'm doing. So I will try doing something dangerous, something very visual. I wanted to do various different mentalism stuff and I've got some really strong mentalism stuff, which is partly visual, partly powerful. It, it just wouldn't work for an audience like that. You know, they've had a bit of drink, they're all pumped up, it's midnight. They've just seen some guy put himself through a tennis racket and if it suddenly goes all quiet and all serious and mundane they're not going to enjoy it so you've got to kind of keep the comedy the the the, the sense of danger there and and it, and it works you know and 10 years 10 years or eight years of mavericks you know i've realized what works and what doesn't my floating table i do quite a lot at my weddings and corporates i love doing it. it's such a beautiful piece i wanted to do that but i thought oh, that's a bit of a cop-out because a lot of people have seen me do that and i asked my mates i go should i try the knife thing I goes, yep do the knife thing because people love danger people love something different i was reluctant because again i hadn't done it enough to feel confident i thought look that's the only way you're going to get better by actually doing it live it's the difference between doing it up on you know in your bedroom or in a room 
compared to on a stage with a live audience and I just push myself and I've always done that with Maverick same with the paintball bullet catch that was the first time I'd ever done it and they didn't know that but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it worked in the end really nicely and um, again you learn what works with the, your, your misdirection your pattern your timing and everything and the music I'm all about the music as well I, want to, I always want to choose the right track that fits the, the particular trick I'm doing as well and I, I find it works for my character my personality if you like and um yeah, I'm happy with that. And and then with the close-up magic, um, I'm always trying new things out all the time. In the last couple of years, it's just been more so about ooh, what would look good on camera for my Instagram or YouTube, whatever it is. So I'll try getting very visual tricks. So I'll have my set things I do anyway, but then I'll also just go straight into my tricks I want to have on camera, essentially. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant, great fun. I've got some really cool things I've filmed. Uh, just haven't had a chance to edit it, but it'll be out in the next couple of weeks for sure. I want to talk to you about Instagram because it's certainly an area that we know we should do more yep. for, but we don't. I think a lot of magicians might kind of feel that way, so I'm keen to pick your brains on that. Sure, yeah, yeah. But before then, let's kind of uh, close the gates to Glastonbury. Absolutely. Uh, from a, <laughs> what were some of your highlights this year, and what have been some of your highlights attending the festival, whether it's kind of performance stories or just inspirational acts you've seen sure, uh, sure. at that festival? Glastonbury has just got better every single year for me, um, only because... I'm able to take more people with me and they're just very close friends of mine so we'll make a holiday essentially out of it as well so it's work and, and just a laugh at the same time so you know we'll hire the van out we'll get together we'll do our shop just a, you know a night before and then we'll travel down we'll set up camp and then we're just filming the whole thing we always make like a video diary type thing and there's such a laugh doing that and then when we're on site we're just hanging out just watching the weird and wonderful entertainment it's hard I, I see it I've seen it for 10 years and I still can't describe how weird and wacky it is because you think how did you come up with that idea you know what makes you think of such a weird idea and I'm now trying to think of one example I can't even think of it because it's just that mad you know you've got people in dog suits walking around in tuxedos and stuff and people in these groups of people in seagull outfits attacking you and all sorts of still acts which you've never seen the really unique ideas and uh, really freaky scary stuff with sound sound you know speakers in them so they make some really weird quirky sound effects but other weird things and there's fantastic magicians out there and it's great because we all kind of know each other as well you get to hang out for a bit and you talk tricks essentially and, and you know just you know, you can, sometimes we like do things together as well. So you, know, I mean, you, you know, I mean, without giving too much away, you know, you'll have a secret assistant doing something for you, load a card somewhere fancy, whatever. You know, other than that, I just, I just enjoy the whole experience because there's so much going on. Like I said, it's almost like a holiday slash work, and you get to network with some wonderful people out there. You know, you you get your name out there and you get to see some amazing music acts. That's the great thing as well. I only have to do about an hour and a half total of close-up magic. And then you've got the rest of the day to enjoy, to go see all the other acts, see all the main main stage acts as well. And uh, got to, we got to see Stormzy this year, and I'm not a great fan, but when I watched it, I just thought, wow, because I got to appreciate his performance. Everything he put into it was so good. Everything was crafted carefully. Everything was thought out. And by watching things like that, it doesn't necessarily have to be magic. It gives you inspiration for your own act as well. Like, how can I do this and add this, add specific lighting, specific cutaways of a screen behind me, and things like that. It just gives you brilliant ideas for your own act. And, and and I do, I genuinely get a lot of inspiration from Glastonbury because there's so much to see and do out there and, and they're, they're cool people out there, you know, even like the late night stuff, it's mad. <laughs> yeah, it's great, I love it to bits. Um, so you've mentioned Instagram a couple of times yeah. and we could tag all of social into this, I don't know sure. kind of how much effort you put into sort of Twitter and Facebook, yeah. Snapchat even, things like that, but how much kind of, uh, of your time do you dedicate to um, promoting yourselves on these channels? 
I think in the last four, maybe five years pushing it now, it's become extremely important, especially today. I get a lot of my work through Instagram and Facebook and maybe even YouTube as well, simply because I'm reaching out to a large audience, not just in the UK, but worldwide, if you think about it. So creating tricks, which are just to camera or clips from my live you know, bookings, whether it's a wedding, corporate event or a cabaret show, I'll always make sure I'll put it on Instagram and tag where I'm performing because it's it's like a CV. It's it's like you, it's like a portfolio. Of, uh, I'm working for Shell here today. I'm working for Apple here. Whatever it might be, you know, it just looks great. And uh, you know, when you get that picture of you looking all smart, and then clips of you performing for people, because what it does is, people, like I said, you know, people will say, oh, he works for so and so. Oh, that'll be great. And oh wow, that look how these guys are having such a laugh, enjoying his magic. Oh, I'd love to have that at my party. It just works. Because when it's something visual, you're able to see something. People love that stuff, and they, people can relate to that as well. And but that that's just from a work point of view. I mean, I, I'm very uh, driven when it comes to getting bookings through Instagram and uh, Facebook. So I'll make sure I'll create content which is specifically for that market. But then I've also got stuff where you're just I'm just creating content just for the fun of magic, just the love of magic. You know, just trying new things out or finding a prop that's sitting far back in the drawer that's so unpractical in the real world you think oh hang on this might look good on camera because it's so visual <laughs> you know you just film it and you put it up and you just it's, it's just important to keep putting content up there and because you know something's going to go viral some things won't but I just think in this day and age it's so important print is almost dead the world is on on their handsets now you know on their smartphones and that's where they consume content and media nowadays so I think it's extremely important to be online definitely. What are some of the sort of I suppose lessons that you might have learned as you've been trying to put more and more content out and improving the sort of content and stuff that you do? What I've learned is you get to meet other Instagrammers now or influencers. Uh, another app is uh, an app called TikTok. Uh, it was called Musical.ly originally so they got me on board. They got me on board with Musical.ly and they were really pushing me and within a year I, I, I'm now considered as a top UK influencer for TikTok which is crazy they're really pushing me and it's really sweet of them to do that and I've, I've enjoyed the process as well because I'm just creating new content uh, in, in portrait mode essentially because that's how everyone views it uh, on TikTok and you get to have access to the Apple Music Library as well so you get to put music so I'll always find a trick that relates to a particular track with lyrics and things like that and that's why it becomes quite successful and it's about coming up to two years I've been doing it and I'm like almost two million followers, genuine followers as well. And I'm getting paid to do certain things with certain brands and promoting movies and certain songs now as well, which is so cool. There's always algorithms on Instagram that keep changing. Everyone talks about this algorithm system and the most current algorithm system I personally don't like. And I know how to beat it and how to go with it so you get those followers etc but you have to cheat the system in a way which isn't true to me I've seen certain magicians do it and it looks fantastic it looks great for what they're doing I tried it it's it's okay it's cool but it's not me it goes completely against what I'm all about and uh, I don't want people to uh, misread what they're booking essentially it's almost pranky like it's almost it's very false looking I'm not gonna lie it does look very false it's great for us magicians to watch or the layman who are none the wiser but eventually they are gonna clock onto it so I don't know if there's a fine line of whether I want to stick to that or not do that I feel I know what my brand is I'm gonna stick with that brand people love it I know I've got a dedicated community who are growing every single day and I'm gonna to stick to that there's this constant race for numbers and followers but 
yeah, but is it putting money in your account? Is it a million pound in your bank? Is it a hundred thousand in your bank account? You know, you got to look at it like that. And who are these people that are following you? Are these people going to be paying you to come out to do their event and things like that? I look, some, maybe some brands might think, oh wait, great, he's got a hundred thousand followers. Great, we'll get him to promote this new orange juice that's just come out or whatever it is. And yeah, it might work in that respect. But then again, you've got to ask yourself, what is the demographic? Who are who who are who are actually following this magician? What kind of what's the age range? If we want to promote, I don't know, uh, a Dolce Cabana bow tie. Uh, sorry, that was completely random. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, there's not the audience for it. You know, um, so you got to be. I feel I just want to stay true to my brand so I know that the right brands uh, would approach me for some brand endorsements and and people continue to book me for who I am because there's gonna be a point where they're like, oh can you do that trick where you make the pen flow out of your hand or something like that oh yeah about that yeah what about the cube that turns into loads of sweets oh yeah about that <laughs> yeah, you know you can't do these certain, certain things I mean I'll do it just for the sake of you know the, the smaller content in between my real stuff as well, my real life performance stuff. But you know, there's certain things, you, the, the fake stuff you can't, you know, re, you can't replicate as the audience might want it to be. You know, so it's cool. I have nothing against them. You guys carry on doing it, but I think for me personally, it's just something I just want to probably avoid. Yeah. And final one on that, I suppose, <clears throat> Instagram and social channels. For you, then, are they? Is, is there a degree of kind of a monetary? Um, value in it for you or is it solely a sort of marketing tool or is it a little bit of both? Both I would say. Mo it was predominantly been all for marketing because like I said I feel print media is not the way it used to be because I used to promote in certain magazines, wedding magazines and things like that and I used to get a lot of work with it but because everyone's on their handsets now it's all about social media so it's always great like I said you know put up photographs of me looking slick at a certain venue, associate myself with particular brands that booked me, and same with the clips and content. But as my numbers increase and grow, it has led to monetary gains as well, because people are saying, oh, could you promote this for us and we'll pay you X for it. And uh, and it's happening now, which is great. So, and, and it's a genuine organic audience as well, which is nice. So they know you, I'm gonna hit X amount of numbers. So yeah, it might not be in the hundreds of thousands yet, but it will get there eventually, you know? I mean, that's just like a second income, you know, stream, if you like. But I know some people solely uh, rely on just that. But it's what you want at the end of the day, what works, what makes you happy and what you enjoy doing. You know, you, you've got to be happy what you do. So. And you, you mentioned weddings a few times. Is that yeah. kind of a big bulk of your work? Weddings and corporates, I'd say. And being Indian, being Sikh, I got the best of the Asian market as well as the English market as well. Because in the Indian market, it wasn't, I'd say about, I've been doing this for about over 12 years now. In the early stages when I was pitching myself in the Asian market, they're like, oh, this is a bit unusual, a bit different. Let's give it a go. And then because the name Magic Singh, the brand is quite strong, there's a guy in a turban doing magic tricks. It's just, well, that's, that's a novelty. It's never been done before, really. And they, it just really caught on quite quickly and more and more people were booking. I thought, oh, this is brilliant. And to me, that just seemed normal, but it wasn't because... I know how hard magician mates have grafted and they're so competitive in the market to kind of especially in the wedding market to get those gigs and I was able to slowly increase my prices yearly yearly because I was getting better at what I was doing I was just making a better bigger better name for myself and I was doing little TV stints magazine interviews I thought oh, I can push my figures now and and then as I was becoming more popular on the social media side of things you know I, I can push my my figures even more so and then now being associated with major celebrities as well now so I thought oh, this is brilliant you know it's just getting bigger and better and it's, it's brilliant it's, it's really good in that respect we've 
haven't done weddings for years, like most magicians, it tends to be one of the first things that you get booked for. Yeah. And I think we'd probably been doing magic for at least 10 years, maybe sure. 10 or 12 years, before we did our first Indian wedding. Mm. And I remember talking to one of my mates who's Indian, yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, you know, she was like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, oh, I'm doing, a, doing an Indian wedding, actually. And she was like, oh, have you ever done an Indian wedding before? And I felt really patronized by her. She was like, it's oh, wow. completely different to, you know, uh, like non-Indian weddings and I was like yeah 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 whatever and then we got there yeah. oh my goodness yeah. it's they're huge they're it's, massive um, it's so almost like a circus in it in a way because yeah. it really there's is. so much involved <laughs> yeah. they go out they spend yeah. their money man <laughs> they do <laughs> yeah I mean we got there and you know there's this big roving camera sweeping oh, across yeah. Yeah. giant screens loads of stuff going on oh yeah um, and we were like okay you know I hope our normal tricks that we know make a big impact on uh, maybe like a, um, a drinks reception. We sure. know that really um, cuts through there. I was like, I hope this cuts through here because this yeah. is this needs to be big and showy and stand out. Um, what kind of stuff do you find works when there's so much else going on and you yeah. need to bring the attention back to you? I'll be honest. At the end of the day, what we do in a corporate event or in a smaller, a smaller wedding or an English wedding, doing an Indian Sikh wedding or Hindu wedding. You just do the same stuff because then the drinks reception is still a drinks reception at the end of the day. All right, yeah, they might have a violin, a harpist or a violinist, anything in the background and someone doing caricatures. You know, they've spent X, Y, you know, you've got a chocolate fountain there and a, a stack of donut rings there. You just do your stuff. You know, you're, you're, you're part of the, the, the experience for them. You do your magic, make sure they have a wicked time, keep it visual, keep it short and snappy and that's it. And then when you then go into the main hall, it's impossible to see all the tables. You know, Indian weddings, minimum 300 people to 1,000 people. It's, it's mental. You're not going to see them all. So the way I target is you go for the immediate family members, so the immediates of the bride and groom, and then you work your way outwards from there, really. And you go to those tables who look like they're up for a laugh. And then I'll approach those tables who seem bored and, you know, just like, oh, what am I doing here? And then it's amazing what, how you can change the, you know, because magic is so intimate and it's beautiful, isn't it? You go up to them, you sit there, and you entertain this table, and then all of a sudden these miserable faces just become so delightful and it, you, you know the amount of times they'll say like I'm so glad I came now because I got to see this and I've never seen anything like this before to us it's normal we take it for granted almost but for them man you just made their their year if you like sometimes you know it's crazy what I do with wedding reception especially in the Indian market and for the English market I'll also offer stuff on shows on stage as well I'll offer my floating table before the first dance and it's just a nice way to lead into the first dance I've also got a few bespoke pieces I offer where I can make their wedding cake appear on stage and make the bride and groom appear on stage as well so those are like the bespoke packages I offer but you know they've got the money if they've got the money they'll book it and it's great it's great that not everyone does it because it's so expensive but it kind of keeps it unique in that respect as well so not everyone is doing it because you don't want everyone to say oh yeah yeah oh, he's going to make the cake appear now oh yeah yeah watch watch the bride and groom are going to appear in a minute but you know but then again I always have that argument with myself like even if they know what to expect it's almost like you're watching a singer oh yeah he's going to sing my favourite song now it's like you're looking forward to it anyway so I don't know it's great <laughs> um, something that we often find being a double act and we do do close up together sure and, you know we will approach a table as a duo and that's something that I know a lot of other double acts that we know they'll still they'll split up sure to do tables but we always do that and we find obviously being a double act being two of us you know our prices are reflective of, of course that. and often people will come to us and they want close-up magicians 
and then you know they've got us as an option and then there's you know Joe Bloggs on sure. his own and he's obviously cheaper and sometimes we know people are like well we want Ken and Abel we want the Ken and yeah. Abel experience and what we're like um, but other times people are like he's cheaper we'll go for him these kind of things that you mentioned appearing the cake thing the bride and groom yeah. are these all the sort of thing you mentioned personal brand before are these all the kind of things that help you and people to understand what your personal brand is so that when they're booking a magician they don't want a magician they want magic sound. this is it and I, I have this discussion with a lot of magicians all the time and all, you either book a magician or you can book magic sing and that's how it's become now so it's kind of like oh but oh, he's too expensive all right fine well we found someone cheaper you you have to you know that's the sacrifice you've got to make and you keep that kind of prestige as well about you as well you, you know if you're charging x amount of money that's how much you're going to get you know you're going to get paid and people like to be associated with expensive things and especially when it's their big day for example they're going to pay it with corporates they'll pay it as well if they if they know the brand they believe in the brand it's like dynamo for example oh yeah we had dynamo at, at our company that's all they want to be able to say oh dynamo performed our trick and i'm kind of i believe i'm getting into that territory as well now oh, but we had magic sing and it's funny when a lot of my friends who do the asian market they'll always ask them oh yeah we had magic sing at our wedding and I don't feel bad. <laughs> it's just like I, I slightly do thinking like, oh, because they're, they're only interested in talking about me when they're trying to entertain them at the same time. But it's nice. I hear this feedback all the time. I, I, that's why I, I, I solely believe in branding is so important, especially when you you know when you got a brand name. You know, I, I'm, I'm so specific on how I market that uh, brand name as well, and and I, I'll always offer extra as well. I'll offer these bespoke packages. Oh, you know, like. The floating table and i've got the, the levitating assistant who's my wife i levitate her as well now which is quite nice so there's little investments i'll make in different places so i know i've got that thing i'll offer that no one else really offers either so that adds to the kind of that, that premium package or the premium magician if you like am i right in thinking you used to do like or maybe you still do like nightclubs not anymore but um, you used to. only a little bit so yeah. i was studying at bournemouth university Right. And I did nightclubs there, and yeah. uh, I had friends who were older than me who did, who were magicians as well, who used to do the nightclub scene, and they introduced me. And then I did a few nights here and there, and it was great because it was all visual stuff. But then it got to a point where it was just like, oh, you can't hear me, and I'm losing my voice here. And then there was no such thing as a smoking ban at that time, and it's like you're choking on the smoke, and it's like, oh, it's horrible. But yeah, it's not really my thing, to be honest. I want to be able to be heard. And, have a conversation and really you know make it about the experience rather than hey check this trick out bang oh yeah we saw this magician did this thing with the fire oh cool cool what was his name oh, i don't know man it's too noisy <laughs> you know again i think about little things like that as well so again um, i guess what helps me is my look as well i mean i've got the turban i'm uh, got the, the, the tux i'll wear and things like that so little things like that will help me so if i was to do a nightclub Oh, this guy in a turban who's doing this mad trick with whatever. What was the name? Oh, I don't know. He's wearing a turban, though. So little things like that. So even if they can't remember the name, you know, I've got my look to, you know, for them to fall back on. So, but yeah, going back to your to the question, is I don't really do the nightclub scene anymore now. So the reason I ask is yeah, the, I think uh, you need to tell it. The only oh, okay. the only <laughs> reason I knew that you did sure. is I went to uni in Southampton. Oh, and Wahoo. Yeah. Now <laughs> I never saw you. Oh. But Occasion, let's just say on more than one occasion I woke up at a young lady's house sure. <laughs> and they had playing cards stuck on the wall. Now no this, this happened more than once because the first time like they had a card stuck on the wall and I must have mentioned that I was a magician and then I wake up in the morning and there's this card stuck on the wall that <laughs> they've signed it and you might have signed it as well I don't know 
And I was like, oh, you've got playing card on the wall. And they were like, yeah, it's this magician magic sing. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> but this must have happened at least two or three times. Oh, my God. So let's say, not every time, but a few times I'd kind of gone home with ladies and I was waking yeah. up and it was like, I was like, magic sings me everywhere. <laughs> and it was That's so the first funny. time I must have kind of heard you, of who you were was because this girl was like, oh yeah, magic sing, and then magic sing, and magic. And I was like, That's who so is weird. this guy? <laughs> he's like in every nightclub in town, he's doing these tricks around. So I was curious, it's because we've done nightclubs before, sure, and sure. have found the experience exactly how you just described. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's tiring, it's hard work, you've got to shout, you get a headache, yeah. it's smoky. Yes, you do a great trick, but then they have, you know, 10 Jaeger bombs and they come. <laughs> Really understand what's gone on. So I wondered if that was a market you'd kind of cracked and enjoyed, or if you'd found it uh, the kind of similar experience that we had. So that one, that Southampton gig, I remember it because it was such a great experience. A so Wahoo, and I can't remember the guy who booked me, but it was I was done with uni at the time. Uh, the guy who booked me, he goes, look, I want you to come down, bring your mates along, and he paid my corporate fee. I was like, wow, okay, what's going on here? And when I came in and. They, go, they gave us security to walk us through the club to the back VIP area. And then there's two well-known, one was a grime artist, one was like a poet. But anyway, we're in this backstage area and they had all these alcohols, like, I don't drink, right? So my, my mates were loving it. So all these expensive <laughs> drinks laid out and it was near Easter, I remember. All these chocolate eggs laid out and snacks and everything. And everything was just laid out beautifully. He goes, guys, look, this is all for you, enjoy it. And then for me, I was just meant to do the VIP area. So it's like a quieter area rather than where the music is pumping. I thought, this is brilliant, this is brilliant, I love it. And that was it, I was just there for two hours, but we ended up staying with like an extra hour or two. And I was just going out doing magic, close up, and they were all listening because they could hear what I was saying, and there's music still pumping a bit. But that was a wicked night. They loved it, signing cards away, photographs, selfies, and all that sort of stuff. And then coming back, my mate's having a good time, and it was brilliant. It was such a good experience at Southampton. Well, I don't know if it's still there, Wahoo, but uh, that was... Pretty much every club, I think, has got a new name in Southampton. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, that's the same with Bournemouth. Yeah. <laughs> Just give it six months, it's something else. <laughs> Uh, what did you study at uni? So I studied film and television production. So TV production was the name of the course. I, I've, I've always had a, a passion in uh, filmmaking, uh, making short films and things like that, making silly fun videos. And then it got to a point where I was making my own magic videos. So my final piece was my own magic video, like a street magic video essentially around London. So I got a degree with it, but I also had a product or a showreel in hand which I was using to pitch to companies and I remember my first gig I got was Glastonbury 2007 and Dubai uh, which was yeah Dubai in 2008 so I was stationed in Dubai for one month in a five-star hotel in a pool executive suite and I had to just do two hours a day for six days of the week and the rest of the time you just enjoy whatever you want and there were two other magicians with me I thought this is the life man this is this is too cool you know I've just come out of union I've got this paid so well and in a pool executive suite so literally um, the back doors open up to like a, a terrace where there's two pools one's heated one's a cool pool and there's all these corporate dudes that would happen there and I thought this is this is mad <laughs> literally man <laughs> straight after university and this is I thought hell yes I'm gonna like stick with this you know because I was doing magic while I was at university and that was funding uni life so the pressure was off mum and dad as well so doing I was doing a lot of um, uh, not festival like uh, council art events and things like that around the country and there was a particular agency so a friend of mine at uni her mother had an agency um, who would basically pimp out you know fantastic street performers and stuff and she got me on board and she goes yeah let's trial you out and she sent me all around the country up and down and 
literally it was just brilliant I, like a little rich kid <laughs> let's go to pizza express no 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 i have to have my tuna sandwich man I'm like, come on it's on me man <laughs> but it, it was great it was just such great fun and then it just slowly escalated from there then like i said when i finished university i got the, i love the magic lifestyle it's so cool and i still love magic and i just got myself officially set up from that point onwards and then the rest is history really and just traveling the world with it now is mad it's just it's fun isn't it it's, it's a blessing yeah i the part of the reason i studied so i studied broadcast journalism okay okay and part of the reason for that was i thought when i used to go around tables and do magic i thought if ever i didn't do magic what would i do and i thought do you know what a lot of the time I do the tricks and then people just want to talk to you for about 10 minutes True. and I was like I quite enjoy talking to people yeah, yeah. and I was like if I was a journalist it'd be like the magic it'd be like being a magician without doing any tricks True. That's um, a good point no, very and, good point <laughs> and I was like if I do broadcast journalism at the very least I'll be able to make a killer show reel and I'll be able to write a killer press release yeah. do all of our show reels and do all of our press releases so Brilliant. we kind of got that out of that I'm curious when you did film and TV was, yes. was there a degree of you that thought Oh, maybe I will get into a, a more conventional film and TV career, or was it always this will benefit the magic? I went in that degree thinking this is going to benefit my magic. Always had that mindset, you know. It's weird because being from an Asian background, you know, you're expected to become a doctor, an accountant, lawyer, all these things. And my parents were supportive in the respect, saying like, look, if this is what you want to do, just keep it as a hobby, get your degree, whatever it is, and your passion. But they're always like, oh, what do you what do you want to do afterwards? I always wanted it in my back of my mind, just thinking it's going to be the magic and I'm going to use this as a vessel to help me. And I learned so much on how to film, how to perfect certain things and how to get better. So second year of uni, we had to do our work placements. And I remember doing it on the Friday Night Project. I don't know if you remember that TV show. Yeah, yeah. There was that and there was uh, Christian O'Connell's something show or something like that. Uh, it's the same sort of concept. And I was working there, and I remember the first night I got there, because uh, um, um, okay, you just need to clear the plates up with this person uh, from the celebrities' rooms. I was like, this is crap, this is rubbish. And then they were all to find out that I do, I was a, a magician. Oh, oh, you're a magician, brilliant. So I remember that night I did uh, the backstage, uh, the press, the green room magic, and they loving it. Great. He goes, okay, next week, um, uh, we'd love to have you on screen uh, on the show. I thought, oh, okay, cool, this is nice, and. Um, I remember I had to bring on one of the guests in a magical way and I had to do a trick on camera and I thought this is so much better so you're getting me to be in front of the camera rather than behind the camera and all of a sudden you're treated in a different way I thought okay I th I've made my mind up here now I know exactly what I prefer and then I remember without sounding bad but when I had graduated a TV show it was like an online education uh, company that got in touch with me and they were talking about how the mind works and misdirection how the brain works with certain things when you see certain things and I was the artist I was the main uh, the talent if you like and I was on site uh, on set uh, on location rather and then the people behind the camera were people that were above me on, on the course and there you are doing you know doing the runaround stuff all the hard stuff hard graft and I think damn man I, I so much prefer doing what I'm doing. I'm so glad I stuck with my guns and I was so dedicated and had that belief in myself to do it. Because it's, it's paid off in the end now, isn't it? You know, it, it's funny, you know, how people don't believe in you at first. I and mean, if you just stick with it, I and mean, then it just works out in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard work, but it's worth it in the end. Absolutely. And um, so what other kind of TV bits have you, have you done then? Man, there's been small TV things. Yeah. Nothing major. 
And uh, there, there's been like, live features with Glastonbury I've done uh, almost every year. Didn't do anything this year. There's like magazine shows I've done. Gosh, I can't think off the top of my head now. I'm so sorry. I've done a lot of stuff in Thailand, believe it or not. So I remember doing, uh, I was booked to do a corporate show, a launch for a new hotel. And then the press picked up that I was coming down. I'm not even, I wasn't even a big name then, to be honest, and like not even now as much. But they were like, oh, great, we want to get you on a TV, on the basically their version of the, the breakfast show, basically. So like this morning, for example. And yeah, gosh, what that the, the effect that had, uh, it was just incredible. So I was like the main guest for that particular show. And then the following week was Hugh Jackman. I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is, this is good. <laughs> this is wicked. And then I stayed in touch with this presenter and uh, he got me back again uh, a few years later. Actually, I was on my honeymoon. and uh, <laughs> uh, We got in touch. He goes, hey, we should get together. We'll have you on our evening show now. Oh, no, so it was still a breakfast show, but it's far more posher now. And and it was just brilliant they got me on the show and it was live as well and they had like a Facebook live thing going on at the same time um, yeah what else gosh I've done news in India as well because I did a TED talk a couple of years ago as well so the news were following me around for that and it's all online it's all online just find Magic Singer I'm sure you'll see it <laughs> how did you find um, the sort of process then of putting together a TED talk they were very specific with the TED so it was a TEDx talk yeah. uh, out in Chandigarh in India in North India and it's just about me talking about so the, the, it was me talking about how I've used magic to put smiles on people's faces around the world and that's what it was all about essentially but they were very specific on how it's got a sound and they had to review my entire script transcript and it's uh, no longer than 10 12 minutes or something like that and you can't have the ahs and the ums in there as well you have to be as fluent as possible and of course I wanted to add some magic to it as well and they were expecting that as well and I did and it was it was quite the experience and I think the, the real experience was getting out to Chandigarh and I mean flying out to Delhi was fine but I was supposed to have another flight that was going to get me there but there was fog so I had to get a train that took me six and a half hours and I wasn't sure the whole six and a half hours whether I was on the right train or not and there's me rinsing my data out thinking right the train is going in the right direction but like oh my god I literally saw the sun set the whole you know from the point of almost kind of rising to the point of when it was setting and it was quite this scary experience but when I got there it's like oh thank god someone is here to pick me up and when they dropped me off, I remember they literally sat me down in the correct train, put my bags up. I was like, wow, this, this is the life. And yeah, it took me about three hours to get back to the airport. And then <laughs> that was it. So it was wicked. It was, it, you know, you live and you learn, innit? So what first got you into magic and who have been some of the biggest sort of influences mm. in your career? I was 11. It's Christmas and I was given a deck of Svengali's. I can actually say Svengali because you all know what it is. They were Marvin's Magic Svengali cards and I was practicing it, I was learning it, I was showing my friends and family and the reaction I got, I thought, this is wicked, I love it. I want to learn more, I want to do more. And then I remember when it was Christmas, mum and dad got me my executive uh, collection of Marvin's Magic with the dynamic coins and all that. I thought, this is so cool. And again, showing my friends and family and I'm good doing a little show and tell at school. I loved it. I was feeding off people's reaction. About a year later, I, would, uh, I saw David Blaine for the first time on TV. It must have been 98, 99. I thought, this, this, what is this? Magic is so cool. And ever since, I think this is for most magicians our age, I'm 33 now. Uh, I went into the library, started looking at books on magic, understanding magic, how it all works. I started doing theatre, did psychology. Oh, I chose subjects at school that related to magic, essentially. And, and boy, did it help. Because I was, I was a really shy guy, just to let you know. Boy, did it build my confidence up in a massive way, you know, being able to just talk to people and have the confidence to stand up and talk in front of the class, small things like that, just got bigger and better every single time. Every birthdays, every Christmas, I'd get a new magic trick, a new magic set, and I'd learn it, I'd practice it, and then 
just slowly started escalating from there and got bigger and better after that and then again the rest is all history <laughs> and then Blaine I asked you oh. before we turned the recorder on I, I know you went you went down and saw the show yeah. uh, I was lucky enough to go unfortunately Kane had to go and get things ready for a show we were doing in Greece pulled the short straw there mate oh, sorry man. sorry man um, <laughs> what an experience I think is the best way for me to describe 100%. it how, how did you find it? you know 20 years I was saying just now that 20 years later you know you're watching I'm watching he's my idol I'm not gonna lie you know people think oh really but he really is he's the one who got me into magic you know with the full force and 20 years later I'm watching him on the big stage there was an option available for a VIP package where he gets to perform close-up magic I thought hell yeah gotta do this you know when am I gonna ever get this opportunity again so I booked it for me and the wife and uh, we went and we got to meet him, shake hands, have a photograph, and then he did a bit of close-up magic. Yeah, we know what he's doing, but I, I didn't care. I was just like, I'm watching you doing what you what got me into the whole thing. Well, saying that, he did the two-card Monty, and there's a point where before the spectator turned the hand over, and they're like, oh, just name a number between one and ten. She just said eight. Turn the hands around. There were two eights. I thought, nah, <laughs> he's got me there. He's got me there. <laughs> but it was just such a pleasure to see him do that close-up magic. I didn't even get my phone out, I didn't even film anything, I just want to, I want to watch you, I just want to be present at this very moment. And that was it, and then we watched his stage show, and it was just wicked, you know? It just, just to see him on stage, and it was just David Blaine performing on stage, being him, not trying to do like a, an act that's not him, yes, because he's on stage. It was just David Blaine, and it was just beautiful, man, I'm so glad we got to see that. And, Got these limited edition playing cards from him signed, which was only for the tour. I thought, oh, this is cool. Again, you know, I'm going to keep that forever. <laughs> yeah, such an experience. It is, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel bad that Kane I'm sorry. Didn't see yeah. him. <laughs> you saw Lance Burton, I didn't see him. So. Yeah. He's cool. Um, who else then? Apart uh, Dave Blaine's side, who else has kind of oh, influenced uh, you? Or whose work do you admire? I, I love Darren Brown. I love his work. I just love his presentation. He's so cool, so class, just so polished, isn't he? I love watching his work. Um, a bit of a controversial one. I mean, I watched Chris Angel's work, Chris Angel's work in the early stages, and I, look, a lot of people may have certain things to say, but I love for what he's done. You know, he's created this crazy-ass brand. You know, of Chris Angel being this crazy goth guy, and it's brilliant. And Cyril Takayama, I love his work as well. I got to meet Matt Blackpool actually. So, like, oh my God, Cyril! I was in a club because all these uh, illusionists had organised this club night for all the magicians. We were there having food and drinks, and then I was like ready to leave, and music is pumping. I turn around and it's Cyril. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> this is crazy. I didn't get to chat to him because he, he was losing his voice. He was so loud, and then, oh, you know, we'll have to arrange another day. I didn't get to see him unfortunately, but yeah, Cyril's work is fantastic, which I've seen. It's funny because he's talking Japanese online, but yet you get to understand what's going on at the same time and that's what I love about magic no matter what background you're from whether you can speak the language or not you know magic always transcends perfectly it's so it? visual yeah, it's such it? a visual art form it's, we're, we're blessed to be able to have something which we can which can relate to anyone from any background any time and put a smile on their face so cool you said Lance Burton I got to see Lance Burton I remember seeing him on the world's greatest magic and yeah. I thought look how cool this guy is he's class this guy the way he handles himself and the way he presents his magic very old school but very classy at the same time without being cheesy those are the idols guys <laughs> um, you mentioned Blackpool 
Um, yes. It's a funny one, really, because part of me thinks uh, there's no point talking about Blackpool because everyone listening will know about Blackpool. But oh, yeah. I know we have, um, I know there's like some very young magicians that do listen to the podcast. Yeah. And I know there's some people that are just getting into magic that, that are kind of listening to podcasts because it's like, oh, I've learned a few tricks. I want to, I want to discover more. So I know we have all sort of uh, levels of experience and expertise that are listening. Um, so there might be people that have never been to Blackpool. What do you get out of going to that convention? I love it. I recommend it to every magician, whether you're a beginner or a professional. The reason why is you're going to learn so much more. You know, you're going to add to your repertoire, whether it's watching the lectures, whether you're jamming with these magicians, or you're buying something from the the, the Aladdin's Cave, which I refer to. It's, it's the best freaking dealer's hall ever, isn't it, in the world. I highly recommend you go because you're going to learn. You're only going to make yourself better, isn't it? It got to a point where I thought, oh, this is boring and it's too clicky and stuff. And I remember I missed a year or two once because I couldn't be bothered. I thought, oh, I couldn't do this on my own. But I made a mistake. You, you should go to these things because it's educational. It's, you're investing in yourself, especially if you want to take magic seriously. You know, you're going to just better yourself as a performer because you get to see different types of performances on stage. You see the silent acts, you see the, the, the comedy acts, you'll see the, the classy manipulation act. You'll always take something from there and you know be able to put that into your own act in some way, some form. And you can see what the latest tricks are. And you get some wicked stuff at Blackpool. Stuff you'll never see probably published you know, in other magic shops unless you go to the proper underground places and you know someone who knows someone who's got something. Quite funny, you know, you'll be jamming with magicians and they'll be like, yo, sing, check this out. And that. That is wicked. <laughs> that is wicked. Ow, ow. How much? It's not available, but I'll sort you out. You know, it's one of those sort of things, you know. And that's why I highly recommend you go. Even if, you know, if the headline acts aren't the best, it doesn't matter. Just go. You're going to learn so much. You're going to get so much out of it without fail. So I'll always make sure if I'm free, I'll go. Or I'll make sure I'm free to go. Uh, a little bit more than on learning, I suppose. Have hmm. you kind of got any, any magic books or are you a DVD guy? or What resources, I suppose, have you used that have kind of really influenced you? Sure. Books are, I would say books is where I started off from. You know, the basics. I mean, the Mark Wilson books, uh, those are the original stuff where I started off. And then when I found out about Davenport's and International Magic, you know, those are the early days. I'd find out and hear about these books people recommend. Um, Bobo's Coin Magic. You know, these are all the classics you've got to have because you'll learn the core basics. But my favourite all-time books has to be the Paul Harris's um, Art of Astonishment, three-volume set. I love those books. I'd always refer to it, and I always, even till today, I'll still refer to those books because I know there's certain ideas in there which I can apply to modern-day props and technology and things that exist and materials that exist. Watched a few videotapes and a few DVDs. I think with the DVDs, the DVD area was era rather was more about individual tricks. So there, I've got hundreds of. Yeah, hundreds of DVDs of individual tricks rather than like a bank of, like Card College, for example. You know, uh, it's just too much. There's, sometimes it's too much. You, you, you'll find what works for you at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, certain tricks. Again, you'll buy certain DVDs and think, oh, that's a, that looks great on the trailer, but you can't do that in a real life situation. But hey, oh, five years down the line, there'll be an app called TikTok or Instagram, <laughs> which will be perfect for and which I'll use it for. And, and I have, and you know, I still recommend books even till this day and age. But I'm a, I'm a visual learner, I'll be very honest, so I like to see things performed, performed to me so I can understand how it works. And then I'll take a certain thing and I'll adapt it into a different way. Maybe I can perform it like this. And because of the skill set, I've got the years of practice of 
handling cards or coins in a different way. Oh, maybe I can do certain things with this move. And oh yeah, it does work actually. Expanding your skill set. So when it comes to doing all the old school stuff or the new school stuff, you're able to do it with ease or in a different way or your own interpretation. So books and DVDs is the way forward, definitely, both. Looking ahead then, what, what are some of your aims and aspirations? Uh, uh, television has always been my aspiration and my aim, my goal, to have my own TV show. But the way television is going, it seems like it's dying now. And the way we're going is towards YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime and Apple TV+. Plus and, those are the new platforms and ideally I would love to have a TV show or a show on those platforms. I mean right now I'm I'm creating my own own content uh, on like YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and that's kind of creating my profile out there it's creating that fame. I don't want to do it for the fame game because the fame I, I just see fame as a byproduct of hard work and success. My aim is just to be successful and live com- a comfortable life. A very successful life and that's what it is and like I said the fame will come as a byproduct of you know being on television or Instagram whatever it is but yeah that will be the main aim is to have my TV show because I've always wanted that a Sikh magician and the turban has never done it before I thought it will not only do I love it but I think my people will be proud but all the people who know me my friends my family people just around me would love to see that I think and uh, I know I could definitely offer something new something something fresh and then eventually I'd love to have my live shows as well in, 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 in a, a West End, 100% in, in London in the West End pit because I think that would be so cool to have. Even maybe be a part of the illusionists as well, you know, be a part of that gang, <laughs> who knows? But yeah, I've got a few aspirations definitely for sure and uh, touch wood, it will all come true. Yeah, well good luck with it all. We wish you the best. A really rogue off uh, topic question to end things. Go for it. Uh, with you. <laughs> and this is how we're going to end all of the interviews from now on. Uh, anyone that listens to the podcast last week um, will know because Ed and I were away and in um, in Greece. Right. We messaged a load of people that had already been on the podcast. Okay. And we said, and this was solely because I listened to Darren Brown on okay. Desert Island Discs. Okay. <laughs> Which is good. Nice. Everyone should listen to that okay. as well. And what I thought would be fun is to know if someone was washed up on a desert island. Or a dessert island. A dessert. <laughs> what one dessert they would have for the rest of their lives. So that's how we're going to end this podcast. Magic Singh, you're washed up on a desert island. You can only have one dessert for the rest of your life. What would it be and why? I'm going to be very specific here as well. Only, I'll tell you why. It, it's a donut, but it's not any donut. It's not even Krispy Kreme because that's now been beaten by this particular donut by Crosstown Donuts. They had a limited edition donut called the Blackout. It has to be the best donut I've ever had. It was like a chocolate cake type donut with the shavings of an Oreo all on top, but the inner core had chocolate ganache sauce type thing going on there. It, it was the most amazing thing. And I've got a sweet tooth, and I'm so glad that was the final question because I have a bloody <laughs> damn sweet tooth, I do. Um, yeah, that was the best damn donut. But and I remember that was I had that at the Soho House Festival, which uh, my wife was uh, working at, and they had Crosstown Donuts. And I thought, yeah, I'll try this for the first time. And that was my first donut by them. I tried, and it was the best damn donut. And I can tell you that anyone who's on a washed up island, or washed up on an island rather, or if you're washed up as well, but um, that would be the, the best dessert ever, hands down. 
even if you don't like chocolate, you'll love it. <laughs> it sounds delicious. Uh, Ed Kane, because Ed Kane used to be a chef. Yeah. Ah. And on the Dessert Island episode, he then gave people tips on creating their ultimate dessert. Right. So, if Magic Singh wants to create his own Crosstown donut, is that a donut you've had? And also, uh, what are the top tips for creating a donut? This is when it gets really obscure and only our mum listens to this part. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Maggie Fain, she likes it. She likes the recipes. <laughs> Everyone turns up at this bit. Donuts aren't really my uh, forte, really. I do love Crosstown donuts, so. So this was a limited edition one. This is so, a limited so edition. So they don't make it anymore. Well, well, I went again, so I went yeah. twice to find us. <laughs> They're like, you can't. It was only available for the 4th of July for uh, Independence Day in America. Right. And they called it the Blackout. And they go, you can get this, but you have to go to Brooklyn, New York to get this. I thought, oh, yeah, about that. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Just for that donut. But, you know, I'm the kind of guy who'd probably do that. Like, yeah, why don't we still be a detour to New York? Because I would love that donut. It was that good. Um, I love it. They, <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> they are great donuts, and they always because they make them fresh every day. If you That's go right. really late at night, because they're quite expensive, aren't they? They they're are like three quid or something. Maybe four fifty. Four fifty. If you go right at the end of the day, you can have you buy one donut, and you, all the extra ones are like only a pound each. Ooh, right, right. That's my top tip. Go to Crosstown Donuts at the end of the day. Sold. Yeah, I'm a. A bit of a bread ahead guy. Have you had a bread ahead donut? Bread, bread ahead. Bread ahead. It's donut. a bakery in uh, no. Borough Market. Okay, so someone has mentioned this, but I didn't remember that name. Okay, okay, um, go on, tell me more. So it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's a big bakery in Borough Market, and um, it was set up by the old head baker of St John's Bakery, which is in Spitalfields. Okay, quite a famous sort of bakery. Right, right. And he set up this bakery, and like provides everyone around Borough Market really um, but their donuts have become like world famous and you get like people coming from America and they queue up for these donuts and now they've got a separate store that just sells donuts. Famous one is the vanilla custard donut. Okay so and is that every day? Every day. Alright yeah. sold. If you're Borough ever Market. in that area. And you have to go early to get this? Not really because they keep making them oh, all throughout the, the day. Wicked. Yeah. Okay okay right. I'm going to try it. But it's very oh, different yeah. to the Crosstown ones. Have you tried the donut tarts? Sorry, I'll keep going on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I haven't had breakfast already. I'm going to be having a donut. Um, uh, donut Time, have you heard of that as well? The one I saw in Covent Garden. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that. And they've got these funny names. They have a little shack, don't they? Yeah, that's little, right. Um, it's similar to, yeah, it's similar to Donut, a Crosstown yeah. yeah. Donut. Um, so they have like names like Bueno Mars. And they, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, you guessed it. It's a, a Kinder Bueno on it, and chocolate and all sorts going on there. And that's such a great day. Was it Donatella Versace? They had a play, it played on that as well. I and had that. I had that donut. Oh man! There yeah, you go. because the um, donut Donatella <laughs> Versace. Yeah. That's it. Donatella. Because yeah, right. <laughs> I just finished watching the Netflix series, um, The Assassination of. Gianni Versace. Oh, yes, 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 okay. And my mate had come to visit London, so we were doing like all the touristy stuff, and he was like, Do you want a donut? And I was like, I could eat a donut. And I got the, the <laughs> donut, do, donut, donut, Versace. donut, whatever Versace <laughs> donut. It was well good. They are nice. Yeah. I must say, they are nice. It's damn got good. a lot going on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like, where do you start, isn't it? You have to, yeah. like, you know, pick it off a little bit and. Wow, I'm gonna have a feast today. <laughs> <laughs> donuts. <laughs> a magic oh, video about donuts. That That's should be it. your next big that you create. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Wow, it's funny saying that because. Uh, oh. Yeah. Hello. Oh. Hello. <laughs> Did a little something at Glastonbury. A little something. Stay something. tuned. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll definitely share that for you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Ed Kane, thank you for your donut input. Yeah. I like to. I'm going to be at Borough Market donuts. very yeah. soon. Yeah. Uh, Magic Singh, thank you for everything. My man, pleasure. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Actually, before we stop, let's, yeah. let's, are we still recording? We're still rolling. Oh, we're still still rolling. It might not work. Let's just try this. You guys can't see, obviously, you're only hearing this. Uh, let's try this. Imagine I have got a donut here right now. Okay. Actually, two, no, two damn donuts. There you go. Um, I we to both pick it up. Take a bite out of it. I look silly, obviously, you guys can't see this. And then what happens here naturally is the sugar goes on your fingers. You've got the sauce out, or the, if it's jam donut, it goes over your fingers. Imagine that's just happened now. Just pop your donuts down and just uh, imagine you're going to lick your fingers. Just lick your fingers and you should be able to taste your donut now. That's well good. <laughs> that's weird. you got a sugary finger, Ed? I've got a sugary finger. It's weird, isn't it? That's well good. <laughs> that's it. Thank you and good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.